And we are going to jump into our passage here. But before we do that, I would like to pray. Father, I do thank you for the wonderful opportunity that you have given us as women here at Grace Community Church to join our hearts together again, starting a new year. Father, we are so grateful, and I think it's so easy in our American world to forget that this is a privilege, that there are other people who do not get the joy of a strong and healthy church, not a perfect church, but a church that loves you, elders that love you, that that are seeking to guide us according to your word. Father, to have other sisters that are seeking to know you, to please you, how many women would love to have that. Please help us never to take this for granted. Lord, I do thank you for every woman that is here this morning. I thank you for the new year that you have set before us. We have made many plans, and yet we know that you guide our footsteps. And so we pray that you would guide us this year, that you would guide us through the studies, that we would be willing, as we are going to look into our passage today, to be be living sacrifices, that we would be open and, and desirous, humble hearts that desire to please you, and to surrender our will to your will in being that living sacrifice. I pray that as we turn our hearts to the word that you would give me clarity of thought and speech and that by your Holy Spirit you would uh, use your word to quicken our hearts, to give us understanding, to convict us and to spur us on to greater holiness. In your name we pray, amen. Timer. Very important. So I was recently listening to a podcast. Well, let's back up just a tad. So I have been pondering what passage I wanted to speak on today, probably over the last couple of months, thinking through what would be an encouragement, what what would be beneficial to all of us as I'm thinking through this. And the Lord brought to mind from his word, of course, a passage that we all know that many children learn as, as little kids, Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is not a new passage, probably for most of us, but it is a powerful passage. And so as I was thinking through this passage and particularly what it means to be a living sacrifice, I happened to be listening to a podcast from Johnny and Friends. You know what I'm talking about, Johnny Erickson Tata. And so if you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm going to give you just a little bit of history of her story here, but I think it's very pertinent to what we're going to be talking about today. So 56 years ago, at the age of 17, she dove into shallow water in the Chesapeake Bay, striking her head on the estuary floor. The impact broke her neck and severed her spinal cord, leaving her a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the shoulders down. Did you catch the years? 56 years ago, this happened. What you might not know... Timer is not happy. Okay. Excuse me. Okay, sorry. What you might not know is that not long before her accident, she had prayed asking the Lord to help free her from the sin to which she was enslaved. In her testimony, she explained that she had a boyfriend with whom she had been in sin. This caused her to wrestle deeply with the inconsistency of her commitment to Christ. As the Lord brought conviction into her heart, she prayed this prayer. And I am quoting what she said here. Jesus, I am not living as I should. I am being a hypocrite. I am doing one thing with my boyfriend and then confessing another thing around my Christian friends. I can't stand to live like this. Sorry, I guess I stopped it, so I don't know what's going on. Maybe this is a bad thing here. You know what? Let's start it over. I'm really trying to stay on time, girls. (laughs) Sorry. We might get through this. You might learn who Johnny is in a second. Okay, we'll try this again. I'm going to start at the beginning of her prayer, okay? So we're all on the same page. Jesus, 
she said, I am not living as I should. I am being a hypocrite. I am doing one thing with my boyfriend and, and then confessing another thing around my Christian friends. I can't stand to live like this. I don't want to shame you further when I go off to college. Do something in my life that's going to jerk it right side up because I cannot do it. I am powerless to do anything, God. She explained that after her diving accident, she really began to doubt God and doubt his goodness. Was this how he answered her prayer? She said to God, again, I'm quoting, if this is how you answer prayer, then I'm never going to pray again. How could this possibly be his answer to her prayer? Her inability to understand what God was doing led to deep depression and soul-searching and finally to searching the scriptures. And she had one particular friend that shared Jeremiah 29, 11 with her. And this is what it says. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. As you can imagine... This verse caused her to question God, wondering why he would say that he planned not to harm her because her life looked like nothing but harm. She could not understand how quadriplegia wasn't harm. As she read the verse in its context, she realized that when God said to the Israelites, they were being, when he said that to the Israelites, they were being dragged away into captivity by the Babylonians. So this is what God is telling the Israelites, and yet they're looking harm straight in the face. They were going into exile. They were going into slavery. They had decades in front of them of hard, awful suffering. Johnny said this, and again I quote, I began to see that God's plans for a hopeful future for me was not necessarily jumping up. Dance and skip, doing aerobics, running, walking, getting back the use of my arms and my legs. No. God's plans for me go far deeper. A deeper healing, a precious healing of the soul. In Jeremiah 29, 11, when God says he won't harm us, it doesn't mean the body. It doesn't mean our circumstances. He's not going to do anything to harm our soul. Yes, our body may get harmed, but it will somehow serve to enrich our soul. As she wrestled to accept her suffering, she prayed again, and again I quote, God, I have nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. Show me how I am supposed to live if I can't die, because that's what she wanted to do was just die. She said, show me how to live. So for the last 56 years, he has been showing me how to live. And I am finding new things about him every day that are worth trusting. Johnny's life has been a saga of suffering. The expected challenges that accompany quadriplegia are extremely difficult. And just imagine with me for a moment. Imagine having to depend on others for everything. Getting dressed, combing your hair, fixing your meals, cleaning your house, transporting you from one place to another, and on and on and on, continually dependent upon other people for everything. And then in addition to just those struggles, she has battled cancer, not once, but twice. And then to add to that, pain racks her body Every single day of her life. And it get, the longer she lives, the worse that pain gets. And yet, I am going to quote her one last time here. She says, every morning when I get up, I think, Jesus, if there is any way you can squeeze any more ounce of effort out of this paralyzed body to serve others, then I am all in. Use me, Jesus. And we know that God has given her a very influential ministry. But I have to say, is this also our cry? Is this our heart? Nobody here is a quadriplegic. 
None of us struggle in the same ways. God has given us all different kinds of struggles. But do we have the same heart as Johnny, who really, what is she exemplifying here? Exactly what is in our passage. To be a living sacrifice. This is the testimony of a woman who understands what it means to be a living sacrifice. To give her whole life, body, mind, and will to Jesus Christ for his glory, for his purposes. As we consider the new year that is before us, we need to consider our commitment to the Lord. Is this our heart's desire? That in everything, our lives would be used as a living sacrifice. We need to consider how this works as far as how we fellowship with one another in small groups and serving in the body of Christ. So what is it that God requires? What will bring him the greatest glory as as I'm seeking to please and honor him? So let's, if you have your Bible or your phone, I actually meant to print the verse on the top of your notes and didn't remember to do that. So anyway, you can look it up on your phone or you can probably just say it in your mind with me. Sometimes it's helpful, even when it's in our minds, to actually look at it though because we can refer back to it. So Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So to answer our questions, what is it that God requires? He requires our worship. What will bring God the greatest glory? Our worship. The main focus of these two little verses is the necessity of worshiping God. And we do that, listen carefully. So, because what does he say? He says in here um, that uh, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a holy and living sacrifice, which is your spiritual service of worship. This whole text is about that worship. So, the main, like I already said, the main focus of these two verses is worshiping God. And the way that we do that is offering our lives to him, our bodies, because the passage says bodies, to him as a living sacrifice. Paul begins in verse 1 by explaining why we should worship and describes what that looks like. Then in verse 2, he imparts to us how to do this. Or maybe we could look at it and say the thing that hinders us from worshiping him. So we could pick any phrase in, this, in these two verses and we could actually dig very deeply into any one of them because they are so rich. For goodness sakes, it's Romans, right? But we don't have time for that. And as a matter of fact, I don't even have as much time as normal, so I'm trying to like rush through this. But uh, we are going to focus our time mostly on that little phrase, being a living sacrifice. But in order for you to grasp the significance of that, we have to put it into context with the two verses. So I am going to kind of work us through that, but always thinking through the need to be that living sacrifice and why this is important to us. Why does it really matter? Of course, we know it matters individually, but why does it matter to us corporately? Why does it matter to us as we interact with one another? So we're going to talk through that as well. So present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Of course, it must be presented, as I said, in this context so that we can understand. So we're just going to jump right onto your outline. A is worship is reserved for believers. This is important to understand because what does Paul say right out the the gate here? He says, therefore, I urge you who? Brethren. We know exactly who he's talking to because he says, brethren, he's talking to the believers. An unbeliever cannot ever be a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God. Only believers 
can be a living sacrifice. So Paul says, therefore I urge you, brethren, to be to offer yourself up as this living sacrifice. So this exhortation, this admonishment is given to believers because like I said, unbelievers cannot do this. And I'm not going to stay on this very long. I just want you to know so that you're thinking through the fact that Paul is addressing believers. This is for us. And we need to understand the significance of that. So that's just a brief, keeping it in context, but we're going to keep moving. So B is worship is the right response to the mercies of God. So if you know anything about Romans, the first 11 chapters, Paul is explaining the doctrine of salvation, the theology of salvation. And he goes deep and he's very, very thorough. But then when we get to chapter 12, he turns a bit of a corner here. And now he says, okay, and this is, this is just so wonderful, our little passage here, because based on all these 11 chapters of doctrine and theology, he gets to 12.1 and he says, therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God. And what he has done in chapters 1 through 11 is he has explained the mercies of God. Now, just stick with me here because we, if we're going to get to application, we first have to always work out the doctrine. Because the application doesn't have any roots, doesn't mean anything, unless we understand the significance of this. So this is why we're talking about this a little bit more. So... Theology is absolutely critical to our ability to understand how to apply the scriptures. So if you read through the first 11 chapters of Romans, you can easily list the many mercies we have received from God through our salvation. These mercies are undeserved, poured out on us because of God's character because of his goodness because of his love because of his kindness because of his grace he has poured out these mercies and I tell you what I just went very quickly through not even the the whole 11 chapters and I just was writing down different mercies that we have received from God so just listen to these really quickly I didn't give references I just want you to listen to a few of these things we have been given grace by God. We are beloved by God. We've been given peace, faith. We've received the kindness of God. We've been justified by God. We have redemption through Jesus Christ from God. We have hope and an eternal future because of what God has given us. We are loved by God. We've been given the Holy Spirit by God. We are saved from the wrath of God, reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. We are righteous. We have eternal life. We are freed from sin. Girls, this is only some of them. How often do you stop and think about the mercies of God? Powerful. Like just take this list and mull it over in your mind for the next week and just think about it. And it's because of these mercies that we lay our lives down as a living sacrifice. And as soon as we lose sight of the mercies, what happens to our willingness to be a sacrifice? We lose that as well. So Paul ends chapter 11 with the doxology, praising God for all he has done in providing this salvation. He praises God for his mercy. So if we look back at the very, very end of chapter 11, so he, he lists all those things, some of the mercies that I was just reading to you. And then as very Pauline fashion, he just cannot help himself and he bursts forth and praise to God. And this is what he says, 1133 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And we can say with him, Amen. 
men. Is this the beat of your heart? If it is not, it is probably because you have lost sight of the mercies. Go back and remind yourself of what you have been given through Christ Jesus in salvation. So this is absolutely so common for Paul. And I had to share at least one other place where he does this. And there's many places. That was self-restraint, girls, okay? So just one. I'm just giving you one. So 1 Timothy 1, 16 and 17. Again, Paul bursts forth with this doxology. And he says, Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, the foremost of what? He called himself the foremost of sinners. And he said, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. And then he bursts forth. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul was saturated with the mercies of God filling his mind, knowing who his God was. And you'll see, if you just read through his epistles, he does this often. And what does he say? Follow me as I follow Christ. And who's he talking to? Us. From his word. We follow Paul. Are we that quickly to just burst into praise because of the mercies that we have been shown by God So, as I said, his focus shifts now in chapter 12 from theology to practical application. Now he begins a thorough description of how believers should respond to God in light of his work of salvation on their behalf. In light of these mercies, Paul explains how Christians should live in a very practical response to God's mercy. So first, Christians should live with an attitude of worship toward God. And what does this worship require of us? As I've already said, it requires us to become a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. So before we look at what it means to actually be a living sacrifice, I want you to connect a couple of Paul's thoughts in verse 1. So because of these mercies... That we have, that I just laid out before you, we need to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Why? Because this is our reasonable service, it's our reasonable worship to God. Because of the mercies that He has poured out on us, it is absolutely reasonable, it is logical for us then to worship him. And how do we worship him? We worship him by laying our lives down, giving him our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's beautiful. I could stop there, but we won't because there's way more good things. So as we move on, did I say Number one on your outline. I don't think I did, did I? So number one was praise God for his mercy. And now we move on to number two. The logical, reasonable, rational. That's what uh, that means right there. When it says reasonable, it can also be logical or rational. Response to mercy. And the, the rational, logical, reasonable response is that we would be a living sacrifice. So one of my commentators that I was reading from, Thomas Schreiner, said this, all that needs to be said is that Paul used the term with the meaning rational or reasonable as to emphasize that yielding one's whole self to God is eminently reasonable. Since God has been so merciful, failure to dedicate one's life to him is the height of folly and irrationality. When we do not give our lives to him as a living sacrifice, his absolute stupidity is essentially what he's saying. Because we have been given so much through Christ by these mercies that God has poured out. 
Because of the incredible mercy God poured out on us, our only rational response is to present ourselves entirely to him for his service. So what exactly then does that mean? So see on your outline, worship involves offering our bodies as a sacrifice. And when it says bodies, it means physical bodies. As believers, our soul belongs to God. Our eternal souls have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We are held fast by him forever and nothing will ever change that we belong to him. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and now he resides in us, giving us then the ability to be this living sacrifice So then John MacArthur explains it like this. He says, the first things we are commanded to present to God is our bodies, our physical bodies, because our souls belong to God through salvation. He already has the inner man, but he also wants the outer man in which the inner man dwells. Our bodies encompass not only our physical being, but also the evil longings of our mind, emotions, and will. So even though our soul has been redeemed, we still have a remaining sinful flesh that wars against the spirit. And this is not new. We know that that goes on, right? And here's the thing, that sinful Flesh that remains finds expression where? Through my physical body. That's where it finds expression. Now, also consider that redeemed person that I am, the Holy Spirit that resides in me, that also finds expression through what? My physical body. So what way am I using my body? Am I using it as an expression of sinfulness or am I using it as an expression of holiness to God being a living sacrifice? So number one, is that what your outline says? Okay. Our physical bodies can be used to express sinfulness or righteousness. Even though our eternal soul belongs to God, our physical body can still be used to express sin that remains in our flesh. Or, like I said, it can be an instrument of holiness. So our physical body is directed either by the Holy Spirit or by the sinful flesh. This is critical to understand or we won't fully grasp the significance of what it means to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. The body and all it involves with the mind, the will, the emotions, including the physical aspects of our hands, our mouth, our feet, etc., can be used to express sinfulness or righteousness. So that is why Paul admonishes the believers earlier in this epistle, actually in Romans 6.13, he admonishes them to be careful how they use the members of their bodies. So 6.13 says, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So number two, do not use your body for sinfulness. So what do I mean when I say that? Do not use your mouth to share sinful gossip. Do not use your mind to think unforgiving, bitter thoughts. Do not use your hand to slam the door in anger. Do not use your ears to listen to worldly philosophies that influence your desires. Do not allow your body to be lazy and selfish, neglecting to love and serve others. You see how this works. Instead, use your bodies as instruments of righteousness. And the way to do this is number three on your outline. Present your body as a living sacrifice. The idea of sacrifice here actually harks back to the Old Testament when the Israelites were commanded to offer an animal on the altar as a substitute for their sin. But he presents, Paul here presents a little bit of a twist on that. So in the Old Testament, the lamb or the dove was slain in the place of the sinner. 
This was a dead sacrifice. The animal gave up its life to atone for the sin of the person. The animal could only be sacrificed one time. But now instead of offering a one-time sacrifice that would die, he admonishes the believer to become a living sacrifice. Through Christ, the Old Testament sacrificial system had been abolished. However, that didn't entirely eliminate the need for sacrifice. Sacrifice is still necessary. Sacrifice, though, shifted from dead to living. We, brethren, believers, now become a living sacrifice, laying our will down for that of of our Father. As redeemed children of God, we have the privilege of offering ourselves to God as this living sacrifice. And as I said earlier, it is the logical, rational response of worship to God. Not just once, because we are a living sacrifice. We do this over and over and over and over again. To give our lives as a continual sacrifice to God is how we express our thanksgiving, our gratitude to him for those mercies that I listed out to you. So what does this mean exactly to be a living sacrifice? This essentially is every day dying to self. Moment by moment dying to me, to my desires, Dying to my will, dying to my fears, dying to my preference, dying to my anger, to my selfishness, to my unforgiveness, to my bitterness, dying to my desire for my own glory, dying to my desire for status or for approval of others. It all must die as an offering to God for his wondrous mercies. And it is the least I can do. It is my reasonable response for what he has done for me. It is my expression of worship. So present, number four, present your body as a holy sacrifice. Again, we have Paul referencing the Old Testament. In the Jewish sacrificial system, they were expected to offer an animal that was without spot or blemish. You remember they couldn't just pick some old thing. They had to have a perfect lamb. The physical purity of the animal represented the need for the person offering the sacrifice to be holy and pure. The Israelites were commanded to bring their very best to God. Not the old, lame, blind ram that they just, you know, wanted to get rid of. The sacrifice not only represented the holiness required, it also demonstrated the cost of the sacrifice. Sin is costly. And sacrificing a perfect lamb demonstrated the high price it took to atone for the sin. Ultimately, this foreshadowing, this foreshadowed the coming of Christ, who was the perfect lamb. And you remember 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Our redemption cost the life of Christ, his blood shed on our behalf. So do you think when we present ourselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice that it should just be the leftovers of our lives? Well, I have my schedule right here, but I'll just tuck God in over here. I'll just tack him on to whatever I have going on. No, our Lives, our bodies as a living sacrifice should cost us much because they cost him much. The cost of Christ's sacrifice was high indeed. It cost his life. His blood was shed for our salvation. As we present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, it must cost us. 
And we also offer a holy sacrifice, the best of ourselves for God's use. We sacrifice the best of our time, the best of our energy, the best of our resources because of all we have through the mercies of God. It is absolutely, again, this is our reasonable, logical, rational response. It shouldn't be anything less than this because of the mercies. To be a living sacrifice must be costly to us. Or guess what? It isn't actually a sacrifice. So what does this look like for me on a normal day? How do I offer my body, my mind, and will, my whole self to the Lord as a costly, living, holy sacrifice? I must offer my body in all that it involves physical body, mind, my will, my emotions to God for his purposes and for his glory. So I have just kind of a little list here to kind of help you get thinking. So rather than living for myself, I live for God. My hands serve by cleaning the kitchen in the kitchen ministry or making meals. In my case, writing, preparing messages to share with you guys. My arms hold babies, give hugs, carrying supplies, moving furniture, whatever the need is. My fingers typing emails, are they reflective of the fact that I have been shown mercy? How about texting? How about social media posting? Is it reflective of the fact that I have been redeemed by the mercies of God? My energy and strength, is it wasted on useless temporal activities or is it used to promote the gospel, to serve others, to love them well? My eyes Reading the word, am I using the eyes of my body to study, to understand, to know the word of God? Not watching sinful or useless entertainment. My ears, am I listening to things that are profitable like sermons? And here's one. Am I listening to truth? Girls, be careful. The internet, people that call themselves Christians, conservatives, Be careful because we are most susceptible to the lies that come in those packages. Be careful. Use your ears to listen to truth. My mouth, am I speaking truth and love? Am I teaching kindness? Are my words encouraging or do they gossip? Do I tell lies? Am I promoting worldly philosophies? My sexuality, my body, Am I dressing it modestly so that Christ is seen in me through my good works rather than my body becoming the focus so that when somebody looks at me, they're distracted by my body rather than seeing that Christ is in me? My feet, how I drive, how fast do you push that pedal? (laughs) Maybe where I walk. Do you, get the, do you get the idea here? Our bodies are that expression of sinfulness or holiness. How do I use it? And the flesh is powerful and the flesh craves sin. And it craves for us to use our physical bodies in sinful ways. And when we don't do that and we are obedient to scripture and we use our bodies in a manner that pleases the Lord, we are being a living sacrifice and we are expressing expressing worship to God as we do that. So practical when we get down to the nitty gritty of it. And so beginning to evaluate How am I using my body? So when you guys leave here today, I want you to go home and think about this. How did I use my hands just now? How did I use my mouth just now? How did I use my mind, the thoughts I thought just now? Was I using it as a living sacrifice to my God who has poured out these mercies? And I will say, I know when the trials of life are deep and hard, Physically, we are worn down as a result of them. It makes it harder to think straight. It makes it harder. It's more work. But you must get into the word of God. And you must 
remember his mercies and to go over them and to go over them and to go over them because it is the only thing that will help to dig you out of the pit into which you have fallen where your mind just runs wild with self-thoughts that lead to depression and despairing and discouragement. We focus on the mercies of God. And then by faith, in obedience, we lay our lives down as a living sacrifice to him. So, kind of going to skip through things here to get going a little faster. I present myself to God as a living and holy sacrifice. And you, guess what? As I do that, you receive the blessing of that. As I use my body as a living sacrifice, who gets the benefit? You, my husband, my family gets the benefit of that. So just to kind of give you an example, and I'm, I was trying to think like, what's practical here? So I'm just using my preparation for today. And so you're going to hear what I'm saying, but I want you to think about it in the context of what are the things that the Lord is allowing you to be a part of? What are the ways that you minister to other people? So I want you to think about it like that, not just this example, but this might help you to understand where I'm going. So for example, for me, teaching the word today, it required sacrificing my time. My energy, my free time, my early mornings, those really nice, quiet, special early mornings where your mind is, for me, where your mind is the brightest and the best because we give our best to the Lord. But then, you know, things come into the day and things don't go exactly how you plan. And so now, because I didn't get all the study time that I wanted to get during the day, now that means that bedtime has been pushed out because I have to be able to study. And so you can see the practical outworking, the sacrifice that takes place. And then what happens? When I am able and willing to sacrifice, now I don't like to use myself as an example because I fail so miserably all the time. That's why I want you to think about your ministries, the places that you are sacrificing, but you get to see here what happens. If I don't sacrifice well to study the word, how does that affect you? What do you gain from that? You are not blessed by my lack of sacrifice. I had best be sacrificing if you are going to benefit. But apply that to all other things, all the other ways that we serve in the church. Are you living your life as a living sacrifice so that the church of God here in Maryville is blessed? Because as we do this back and forth for one another, our church grows, not in numbers. That's not what our goal is. It grows in spiritual maturity. And I can encourage you and you can encourage me. And we know our God more, and, and we reflect the character of Christ more and more in our lives. And this is precisely what Johnny does every single day of her life. She strives to be a living sacrifice to God, offering herself to him each day in her broken, hurting, tired body, giving herself to him for his purposes and his glory. None of us suffer to the degree of Johnny. We have no excuse, zero, no excuse. If she's saying, squeeze out of me any ounce of energy to serve others, no matter what our circumstances are, that needs to be our goal as well. So D here is worship is the result of true knowledge. So I'm going to move now to... 12.2, and it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And we're basically going to skim this really fast. And I actually debated whether I was even going to add this verse, because we really don't have time. But you have to have the context. So you have to see how this fits. So that's why I'm going to add this real quick. So often we fail to worship God as a living sacrifice because we have become like the world. 
We have allowed our bodies, our minds, our will, our emotions to be like unbelievers. We value what they value. We think like they think. We act like they act and we speak like they speak. A worldly person cannot present themselves to God as a holy sacrifice acceptable to God. The world is the antithesis of all of who God is. And the more worldly we are, the less we are going to be the living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to our God. So number one is do not be conformed to the world. So the word conformed means to be pressed into a mold, to take on the the same shape. And so we do not, as believers, want to be pressed into the world's mold so that no one can tell a difference of whether or not we are a believer or not. To be molded, stamped, shaped, body, mind, and emotions by all the world stands for is, in Chris's terms, a travesty. We don't want that to be the case. The word carries the idea of masquerading. So that that word conformed, it carries the idea of masquerading, pretending to be something or someone you are not. And when we as believers look like the world, that is exactly what we've done. If you have been saved by the mercies of God, you are a child of God. You are no longer a slave to sin, held captive by Satan to do his will. God has given you everything to be free from sin, holy, and set apart to him. He has empowered you through the Holy Spirit to do all he commands in his word. You are no longer of the darkness. You are of the light in Jesus Christ. So when Paul says, brethren, since you have received the mercies of God, do not live like the world. Do not act like the world. Do not masquerade as though you are one of the world. Because of the mercies of God, present your whole self to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Here's the thing. Be who you really are. And who are you really? You are a redeemed saint because of Jesus Christ. So number two, be transformed then. We're not going to be like the world. We're not going to be forced into that mold. Instead, we have to be transformed. And this word is really an amazing choice on Paul's part because it's the Greek word that we get metamorphosis from. It means to be on the outside who you are on the inside. It is the same word that was used for Jesus at the transfiguration. Because remember, Jesus came in a human body. And the disciples didn't see the glory of who he was in his deity. But they, the three, the inner circle, they got to see that at the transfiguration. And so that's the same word that is being used there. And for us, we need to be on the outside using our bodies as who we are on the inside, redeemed saints. We must not be pressed into the world's mold, hiding our true identity as a child of God. We must be transformed, becoming on the outside through the living sacrifice of our bodies, who we are on the inside, which is children of God and dwelled by the Holy Spirit. And this is only accomplished by renewing our minds in Scripture we will not offer our bodies to God as a, living, as a living sacrifice to him unless our minds are made new through the knowledge of him. If we do not have proper knowledge of who God is, of his mercies, we will not lay our lives down as a living sacrifice to him. And so we have to have our minds then renewed in the truth of God's word. So our goal here, then to take all of that, our goal here as the women's ministry is to help you in this process. We want to teach and instruct you in the knowledge of scripture so that you will become more and more on the outside who you are on the inside. 
It is our desire and prayer to help you understand what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. And it is our desire to help you to be able to do that. And here's the thing. This is simply our logical act of worship to a gracious God who has saved us. So as you guys are processing through all these things we've presented today, the Bible studies, opportunities to serve, and of course there's no obligation to any of this, and we do not judge if, if you're serving in other capacities, but as you consider how you serve at Grace Community Church, it doesn't have to be in the women's ministry, it can be in all kinds of other places, your small group, the children's ministry, the youth ministry, are you laying your life down as a living sacrifice? Are you being that at home to your husband and to your children? That is our goal because the more we lay ourselves down as a living sacrifice, the more our God is glorified and the world looking in at our lives says, they're different. We used to have a title here as the chicken church. I'm not sure that is the title we want. That was a long time ago. We want people to look at our lives and say they are different. Why? They love one another. And the only way that that will happen is if we are living sacrifices. So I do have, um, I'm supposed to sum up. Sum up as we get ready to leave here really quickly. So, Remember the different Bible studies. So in the back, we have tables. If you have any questions, um, the, Sandy's going to be over here on my right, and she's going to be there to answer any questions that you have about serving with any of the women's ministry teams. On the other side, we have the Bible studies. So if you have any questions about the Bible studies, we will be over there. Jen is going to be, Jen, raise your hand. Jen is going to be back there at the book table, so if you'd like to go browse books and you'd like to purchase some, remember, easy peasy, credit card, you can go do that. Now, if you're not supposed to be spending, don't do it. <laughs> you, use self-control. <clears throat> and uh, I think, don't forget your dishes. Make sure you take your stuff. We don't want to be stuck with your food. Name tags, thank you, and name tags. Front table, where they got them from? Please take your name tags. And if you don't mind, take your name out and then put your blank um, holder there on that table where you picked it up from. And with all of that, are we good? We're good. We are late. We are very late. I'm so very sorry. Thank you for your patience. And you guys will be dismissed. Let me pray for us. Father, I do thank you that you have blessed us to be able to be here together this morning. Lord, I thank you for all the work that has gone into being here, for all the precious ladies that came and decorated tables, that helped set up, that brought food, and for all the work that has gone into the preparation for the Bible studies, the flyers, and all those different things. Lord, I pray that through this next year, you would be honored and glorified, that you would be seen to be great in our lives individually, but in our lives as sisters in Christ, as we, as we interact and serve one another. Father, we are so grateful that you give us that privilege. We thank you for today and pray that you would bring us back here tomorrow morning for church again. In your name we pray, amen.